I have been asked to give my testimony, share my testimony with you today. And as I tell this story, my hope is that we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I want us to begin uh, with this passage from 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians and chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 18 to 25. So if you have a Bible, please open it at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who have been saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In the summer of 1990, over 30 years ago, I was on a beach in the north of Poland and I was facing a crisis. I was supposed to be telling people about Jesus, but I really did not know what I believed. I was brought up as a Roman Catholic, but when I reached 18 years of age, I'd already faced a crisis of faith, if I can term it that way. I left the Roman Catholic Church. I was looking for answers. Is there really a God? What does the Bible actually say about God? I began attending an evangelical church with a friend, and within a year or so, I was in Poland on the northern coast with other students telling Polish people, telling Polish Roman Catholics about, the, about God. But the problem was, I did not know God. I was facing a crisis. From the moment I was born, the influence of the Roman Catholic religion was present in my life. I was born with my twin brother on the 29th of June, 1970, in Halifax in Northern England. And that date isn't insignificant for the Roman Catholic because according to their calendar, it's St. Peter and Paul's Day. 
And it was therefore natural for my mother to name us Peter and Paul. I don't know if you know as well the little ditty, two little dicky birds. Do you know that one? Is that known in, 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 in the United States? Well, that was constantly sung to us. Two little dicky birds sitting on a wall, one called Peter, one called Paul. Fly away, Peter. Fly away, Paul. Come back, Peter. Come back, Paul. That was constantly something that was sung to us at school. But as Polish Catholics, saints and their names days feature prominently in my parents' lives. And it was the lives of Roman Catholic saints which would have an impact on my understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. My parents had left their native Poland in the 1960s to come to England for a new and better life. Poland was still under the dark shadow of communism and the British Isles offered opportunity and hope. They settled in the northern town of Halifax where with many other European immigrants my father found work in the local mills and my mother, a trained midwife, eventually found work in the hospital where I would be born. Now, my parents were typical Polish Catholics. They didn't particularly question their faith, but they followed it to a certain extent obediently, but without real understanding. You see, Catholicism has always been the warp and woof of the Polish people, part of the Polish people. It runs, as it were, through their, their veins. And ever since Poland had been established as a nation in 966, and it's said to be Polish is to be Catholic. As I said, Catholicism ran through a pole like the blood in his veins or her veins. Now, of course, not every single pole is a Roman Catholic, but the vast majority was, and even today, that's true to an extent. And it was that which has historically set apart Poles from their eastern neighbours on the map of Europe. So my childhood was very Polish and very Roman Catholic with its language, its food, its customs and religion. My brother and I were baptised into the Catholic Church as infants and as was the tradition my brother and I, Paul, we had people set aside as our godparents. These were people who, along with our parents, would have the task of ensuring that we were brought up in the Catholic faith. That rite of baptism was meant to wash me from my original sin. But being a baby, I was entirely ignorant of this, ignorant of what the truth was. I needed a work of God's grace in my life to spiritually awaken me. And not the work of a priest's hands pouring water over me. I needed a personal faith in Jesus. Not a faith that my parents or godparents had on my behalf. The Apostle Peter says this in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Repent. And let every one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. I needed to consciously turn from my sin to the Saviour. 
I needed an inward working of God's spirit to give me a sense of my sin against God and a faith in this saviour. I was just a baby and I was unable to believe and I was very far from the saviour. Every Sunday, my parents took my brother, my older sister and myself to the Polish mass. Now that was the service on the Sunday. Now very little of it ever made sense to me. I would sit in the pew, I would watch, I would listen as the priest would go through all the formalities and ceremonies. But I don't ever remember the priest encouraging anyone to read the Bible. And the Bible itself, it was a closed book to me. And it was all darkness to me when it came to understanding. And such things, it seemed, were only for the priest to know. Well, in those early years of growing up in the Roman Catholic Church, I accepted what I was told, believing that my prayers, participating in the church sacraments, attending confession, going to Mass, being a good person, that would earn me the right to heaven. And I was taught that there was a place called purgatory, where all the sins that I had committed, that I hadn't made amends for, would be dealt with. And here would be this place where I would have to suffer for a time to make up for all the sins I hadn't confessed so that I could get to heaven. I remember I've got one childhood memory of my brother and I snuggling up in my grandmother's bed in the morning and she would teach us what to pray. And one of those prayers was for the dead, for people who had already died, praying for these people that they would get out of purgatory. And people in the church would constantly give the priest money to say a mass for their loved ones in purgatory. And if that was done, then their relative's time wouldn't be so long. And they would sooner be in heaven. Just a bit of money, and they'd be in heaven. And that's so tragic, isn't it? So many people have been misled and deceived. Now, the Bible says nothing of a purgatory after we die. In fact, and let me be very clear here, the Bible does speak of a purgatory that has passed. Now, let me read carefully some words from Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. If you've got a Bible, perhaps you can turn to this verse, a very important verse. And it's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And keep that word purgatory in your mind who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high it's at the cross that there was a purgatory a purging. Jesus alone is able to purge us of our sins. And it's only in Jesus that you can find forgiveness. You won't find it at the hands of a priest. You won't find it in a place called purgatory. You'll find it with the Lord Jesus.
The Bible speaks of a saviour who endures all the suffering necessary for the sin of all who belong to him. And there are those wonderful consoling words we find later on in Hebrews, in chapter 10 and verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. The priest and the mass can do nothing for the dead. But for those who believe Jesus Christ has suffered all the punishment necessary, hell itself, one sacrifice for sins forever. But I, I still hadn't recognized who Christ was and what he'd accomplished on the cross. At the age of about seven, my brother and I had what would be called our first communion. Now this was supposed to be a very important event, confirming what our faith meant to us. At the time, I didn't understand its significance, but I must have sensed its importance because we had to get dressed in these very special suits, white suits, which had been specially made for us, and then attend a ceremony at the church where the priest blessed us. But there was something else very significant on that occasion. I recall having a special meal at our home when friends came to visit. The guest of honour was our Polish priest, Father Tadeusz Gajik. Now, he was a gentleman. He'd suffered imprisonment during the Second World War under the Nazis. I therefore respected him very much. And that was instilled in us to respect him and the other priests. It was what he brought that day that would shape my thinking. It was a very small thing in many ways, but for the next few years of my life, it shaped where I was heading, what I was thinking. As the guests gathered around, he presented a container with various folded up pieces of paper. And in each piece of paper was written a vocation, a career in life. And the one that I picked out had written on it, it was in Polish, ksiądz, ksiądz. It's the Polish word for priest. And for me at least, that, in that moment, there was no question. God had spoken from then on. I was resolute on becoming a priest, a Roman Catholic priest for God. Well, growing up in a Polish Catholic home, my parents involved my sister, brother and me, not only in Mass on Sundays, but also our lives as children were active. We were participating in various Catholic festivals, processions, gatherings and events. And as a young Catholic, I took an interest in the Catholic saints. Now, these were people that were regarded as very special they weren't every Christian. There were people that had done something wonderful in their lives, who were almost perfect, and there was some miraculous event in their lives. I remember coming across a book telling me of their miraculous and sacrificial lives. And one story told by a teacher in the Catholic school I attended had a great impression on me. He spoke of a particular man who wore a heavy chain around his waist and which would wear away his flesh every day. 
And the point was, in suffering in this way, he was making amends for his sin. He was making up for all the wrong things he had done. But in glorifying this act of suffering, what this was doing was it was denying the perfect suffering that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered once and for all for his people on the cross. Well, such stories of saints, they just strengthen me in my thinking that I have to live and I have to suffer for God. But in this zeal for the Catholic religion, I didn't realise how blasphemous it was to claim that my suffering could atone, make up for my sin, make up for all the things I've done wrong. I was thinking, what could I do to make up for this wrong thing, for that sin? I didn't realize that by trying to do that, by trying to earn my way to heaven by my good works, I was stealing away Jesus's glory. I was seeking to be like a co-saviour. And there are words written in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11, which I didn't know at the time, but they say this, I, even I, am Lord, and beside me there is no saviour. There is no saviour. Well, I was inspired by the saints and with what I thought was a calling from God. I set my vision on becoming a priest for God. I became particularly attracted to a Catholic missionary movement known as the Verona Fathers, and I had this particular contact with one of the priests. I began to collect literature about them, and in particular, I became fascinated with a particular missionary, a priest to Africa, who had founded the Verona Fathers. His life, his sacrifice, it gripped me. And by the age of 10, I was all set to attend a boarding school. And at this school, I could learn more about my faith, about becoming a priest, a missionary. And to me, the life of a missionary was a life pleasing to God a, a, and a life of a priest. And I was very excited that Providence had other plans for me. After some thought, my mother decided that she couldn't let me go to this faraway place and I'd attend a local school. Well, God's ways are mysterious, aren't they? And they're always good. Well, I continued being active in the church. From a young age to the age of 18, my brother and I were altar boys. Now, these were boys that would stand by the priest, by the altar, as he performed the mass. This also meant attending to the priest on other occasions, such as Friday mass and masses, these services in other towns. Now, being so much closer to the priest, I began to see that this was just a man with faults. And following um, Father Gaik's death, we had a younger, more confident priest who was very different. And over time, the mask of religion began to fall away. And it revealed a man not devoted to God, but to himself. I recall another priest likable, nice man, but quite worldly in his habits. Now, some of these priests did appear sincere. One in particular lived a very, it seemed, humble, ascetic life. Ascetic meaning that he, he wouldn't really, he would eat very little, he wasn't interested in a lot of material things. 
but all these men, whoever they were, kept me from God. You see, these men of God stood between God and me, not as mediators, but as barriers. They never encouraged me to read the Bible. They never emphasized to me the enormity of my sin. They never explained the finished sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And above all, they never urged me to look to Jesus as the all-sufficient Savior. Instead, they emphasized their own position, the position of the church and its sacraments, saints and Mary, either above or equal to the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't understand that the only way to God, the only way that you can obtain peace with God, it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through him and it has no add-ons. And the Bible is very clear. In 1 Timothy 2.5 we're told, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. These men of God were blind. I say these men of God, but they were blind leading me, their blind follower. I'd met, I'd known, I'd respected so many of them, and yet none had led me to the one true mediator. Well, throughout my teens, I continued to attend the Polish Catholic Church in Halifax, but my interest in priesthood began to fade. I began to grow discontented with the church, and I began to ask questions. A school friend who claimed to be a true Christian challenged me as to whether a Roman Catholic church, the Roman Catholic Church was teaching the Bible and whether I was living according to the Bible. And I would often respond, sometimes quite aggressively, well, the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic religion, it's the oldest in the world. And Peter is the first pope. That's what we were taught. And I often said this in pride and in ignorance. I only knew this one version of the history that the church had taught me. And I'd not been brave enough or bothered enough to check what the reality was. I'd never examined history's testimony regarding the Catholic church and the Christian faith. Most important of all, I had not considered the Bible's testimony, and in particular, what it says about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I continued to have this verbal sparring with my friend. As time passed, my whole belief system, what I had, began to crumble. And, and by the time I finished what we would call secondary school, high school, at 18 years of age, I was in doubt whether there was really a God at all. I was facing a crisis. And at that point, I left the Roman Catholic Church, disillusioned and confused. I'd not left earlier out of loyalty to my mother, but then at that age, I, I left. and began to attend a Protestant church with this Christian school friend. And over the next year or so, I tried to learn what the truth was. And little by little, I came to some assurance that there was a God. And at this point, I thought I'd become a Christian. 
But it wasn't until a couple of years passed that I saw something still very much amiss in my life. At the age of 20, I returned to my second year of university. I was quite confident that I had a belief in God. I involved myself in the University Christian Union. Is that what they, you call it in the States? It's, a, it's a, where the Christians, the students, would gather together once in the week together. And, and for a time I was happy, but I began to get to know these other Christians. I began to see that they had something that I didn't have. And, and perhaps it was just a few words that they said something they shared from the Bible. Perhaps it was the way they prayed. I knew I was missing something. Something wasn't quite right. And more and more I began to see that I didn't understand what it was to be a Christian. I recall this moment in one of these Christian Union meetings where the guest speaker threw out a question for all of us to consider. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? And I was sitting by this other student, apparently she had just been, uh, become a Christian recently, and we, we both looked at each other, and neither of us really knew what to say. Now perhaps she was just a young Christian, she had just come to the faith, but I, I realised there was something missing, I realised I, I didn't know. The gospel, it means good news. It's the good news that Jesus came to suffer the punishment that sinners deserve and thus save them completely. The Apostle Paul says something in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, says, I declare unto you the gospel by which also you were saved that Christ died for our sins. And sitting in that meeting, I knew I knew that in my head, but I, I really didn't believe it. I wasn't trusting in Jesus. I was trusting in my self-worth, who I was, but not in him. Well, things seemed to come to a head in the summer of 1990 or 91. I'd volunteered to go to Poland for two weeks with a student Christian organization to tell people about Christianity. As my parents came from Poland, I could speak some Polish. I saw this as an ideal opportunity that I could share what I believed with these lost Polish people. I didn't see myself any longer as a Roman Catholic, but I had this real zeal, a missionary spirit. But as I went out, on the streets with the other students, I was sharing what I believed. I was telling people that they had to give their lives wholeheartedly to Christ. It wasn't enough for them simply go to, to church and say their prayers. Their whole lives should be different. Now those things are true, aren't they? That's what a Christian is. They should be different. But there was something missing in my life. I hadn't grasped that my good life is not good enough. It's not good enough to get you to heaven. However hard you try, whatever you do, you're not good enough. I hadn't grasped that. 
And in Romans chapter 10, verse 2, Paul writes this of the Jews in the Bible. He, he writes this, and, and, and it was really speaking of me as well. A zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. I needed, I needed the righteousness of Jesus Christ to save me and not what I thought was my own righteousness. Well, God was working. I realized something was wrong. I became conscious that I wasn't telling people what was right. I lacked conviction that this was the truth. In fact, I was conscious that I didn't appear to have this new life. And so this, this, this was the kind of ridiculousness of the situation. There I was in Poland, supposedly telling people about Jesus. Yet I was all the time listening to the other Christians, hearing what they were saying, trying to understand, trying to grasp, what is this gospel, this good news? Well, after two weeks in Poland, I came back to the UK, I came back to university, and one lunchtime I was sitting with a Christian friend, and I shared with him my doubts and my questions. And he just asked me a question, he said, why believe in Christianity? Well, I, I came out with all sorts of reasons. Well, it, it's a religion of morals, it's a religion of love, there's so much good that's come out from Christianity. And then he said something which really cut to my heart he said i believe it because it's the truth it's the truth and that really struck me there like a like a, a, a train a steam train just knocking me back it i realized i could not say that what about the other religions what about islam what about buddhism what about anything else what is the truth what is the truth? Well, outwardly, everything seemed fine to my friends, my acquaintances, but inwardly there was this darkness and I was wondering, what is the truth? And it, and it was the winter of 1991. It was few weeks were still remaining in my study before the Christmas break and everything, everything did change. I was in my room, I was sitting at my desk, I was listening to an audio tape. Some of you young ones here, do you know uh, what an audio tape is? I, actually, I think they're coming back in, they're becoming trendy cassette tapes. Um, shows how, how old I am. Um, I was listening to this and there were things on that tape that I'd recorded from a friend, a Christian friend. It was taken from the Bible, it was taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It was about Jesus Christ. It was about how foolish it seems that the Son of God, the one who is very God, would come down to this earth and then go to a cross and die. It just doesn't make sense. And yet, I heard some very simple words. And yet these words carried so much weight. We in our foolishness thought we were wise but he played the fool and he opened our eyes we in our weakness believed we were strong that we could do these things but he became helpless 
to show we were wrong. Jesus, as it were, became helpless, as it were. He gave himself up to the cross and it looked foolish. And yet for the first time, this truth grabbed hold of my heart. I saw that I was the one that was helpless, that I wasn't good enough, that I was the sinner, that I wasn't strong enough to save myself. It took Jesus, the Son of God, to die on the cross, to carry, take on himself my sin, all my wrong and my guilt. Only he is the mighty saviour. Only he can carry all that you've done wrong and save you. And for years I've been trying to earn my way to heaven. I wanted God to accept me because of the good things I'd done. And, and the years in the Roman Catholic Church had instilled this idea of good works to save. But it was also my sinful human pride. It convinced me I could do something. But I realised this was foolishness. I'd been the fool. But now I wanted to know Jesus. And in the world's eyes, wanted to be the fool to follow him. If that makes sense. The Bible tells us very clearly in Romans 3 Verse 11, there's none righteous, there's none that does good. No one, no one. We're all helpless to save ourselves. Our sin is too much for us. We need an all-powerful saviour. And listen, every other belief system, every other, other religion, everything that you will hear in this world will tell you that in some way it depends on you. Whether it's through being nice and good, whether it's from keeping all the commandments, whether it's carrying out sacraments, whether it's just thinking hard enough, whether it's being true to yourself, whether it's believing in yourself, whether it's making a decision, all of it is about you. You're the hero. You've got it inside yourself. But the Bible tells you, it's not you, it's not me. It's God alone in Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 tells us, by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And, and in that moment, in that room, I knew Jesus Christ as my saviour. I looked to him, trusted in him. A number of months later, I was baptised out of obedience to my saviour. I, I, was, I was identifying with what Jesus had done for me. He'd washed me of my sins. In him I'd been buried with my old life of sinfulness and raised up to a new life. That's what baptism symbolizes. It's God's inner work in a sinner. It's because of what God has done for me in Jesus Christ now that I seek to live a righteous life by the help of the Holy Spirit. I go after him, follow him. He's able to keep me. I quoted earlier just, just now Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, but we mustn't forget verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should work, walk in them. Those good works don't save us, but those good works follow after being saved in Christ. And we go on in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Christian life, living for Christ, the one who has given all for us. And I just want us to end really by keeping our minds focused on Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says this in, one, in 1 Corinthians 1, 24. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the one you need to trust in. I've been so long deceived. And even when I left the church, that deception remained. Because I was deceived by my own heart i believed i could uh, do something to earn my salvation but what we must do is just believe as it were we need to turn turn from yourself turn from that self-righteousness and believe on christ jesus himself said this is the work of god that you believe on him whom he has sent i'm i'm so overwhelmed by, by what God has done for me, that God had mercy on me, such a proud person, somebody who thought that he could do this or do that, and that he would open my heart to see my insufficiency and Jesus's sufficiency. And even now, in this moment, He's calling, calling with the gospel. The good news, there is a saviour. And I just want to leave with these questions. Have you, have you seen who Jesus is? Have you turned from yourself? Have you turned from your sin? Christ died on the cross three days later he rose from the dead and he sits enthroned in heaven and he hears when we call to him and the bible has this wonderful promise whoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved and so with all my heart i say this just come come to him call to him and leave your life of sin and self behind. Let's pray. Oh, our great God, will you work in each of our hearts that we might see our sin, our self-righteousness, will you bring us to an end of ourselves that we might confess our sins and that we might come to jesus christ and that each of us would go on and follow after him forgive us O oh god for our sins and that we might trust christ and follow after him all our days amen, amen.